Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Well, hey, as you know, this year our theme is Cultivate, and this year we've been really focusing on working on the core values of our church. We've been working the ground of our culture, and so we we just finished up a series called Our Father, which is a prayer series, which is centered around our value called presence, right? Because we, we believe in presence, right? Every time we gather everywhere we go, right? And so we also value family because we follow Jesus together. Awesome. Y'all did a lot better than second, uh, first service. And so um, th- those are our core, our, our first two core values. So presence, every time we gather, everywhere we go, and then family, we follow Jesus together. So we're spending the next three weeks talking about that. We, us, the collective, not me, but we, right? We follow Jesus. We'll be talking about that next week, and then together the last week of this series. And I want to revisit a couple of thoughts First of all, Genesis chapter 2, right? In the beginning, in the beginning, we know that when God created man, right? It says that God placed man in the garden. Genesis 2.15, God placed man in the garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. How many know that God put you here and there's work to be done? So God didn't just create you to sell through life. God didn't really create you for rest and enjoy this lush paradise. You know, we would think this is before the fall. God had given man an assignment. So God has called us to be cultivators, co-cultivators, if you will, on the earth that we are working the ground. But it says this in verse 18. It says, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. So God creates all everything, right? I say this a lot at weddings. God creates everything. And at the end of the day, he says, what? It's, it's good, right? Yeah, I created the, the seas and it was good. And God created the animals and it was good. And then he says, but you know what's not good? It's not good that man's alone. Because he's got a lot of ground to work, right? How many of you know that it wasn't good that you were alone? And so God created not just a spouse for you like he did for Adam. God actually created a community for you to be a part of. And so one of the things that we've learned over the past year is that it's not good to be alone, right? Have we not learned that from, from, from shutdowns and, oh, I have to quarantine and, you know, maybe we can do some, some Skype stuff or church online. And then what happens is we do that and it's kind of like, I'm glad that we have those things in place, but there's nothing like being together, Right? There's nothing like being in the room with somebody with skin on. And we've all learned that. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert or you're task-oriented or people-oriented. You were created. It doesn't matter if you enjoy being around people or not. You were created to be around people. Now, the cool thing about Scripture is that Scripture doesn't give us a multitude of standards for different people. It just gives us one standard. Now, some of those things I thrive at and some of those things I struggle with. And there's some things that you strive at or, or that you succeed at really easy, and I struggle with, and, and quite the opposite. There's some things in, in the Bible that you're instructed to do that you might be better than I'm at. But the thing is, is there's one standard. And so by the grace of God, we can live up to the standard that he's given us, right? And so we know that Scripture instructs us together, to get together. And some people say, oh, no, you know, it's okay. I'll just do, I'll just do church at home. And, and obviously you don't think that because you're in the room. But those of you that are at home, if, if you have to do that for a season, then we get that. We understand that. But God didn't create us to spectate church. God, God created this thing called church for us to, to play a role in, to be part of it. And it says in Hebrews, somebody says, well, the Bible doesn't say you have to go to church. Oh, yeah? Well, what is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25? Since, since the scripture is a standard, let's look at the scriptures. Now, now get this also. Two-thirds of the New Testament is devoted to people doing church. How to do church services, how to, how to do community. Now, when we talk about doing church, we're not just talking about a service that we do on Sunday morning. We're talking about doing our life, following Jesus together, right? We're doing this life together and going to a service and worshiping together. There's plenty of scripture about that. Um, Hebrews 10, 20, 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and to good works. The NIV version says this, spur one another on. It's kind of like a cowboy does 
with a horse, right? He spurs that horse to get him moving. So he's saying, listen, I want you to provoke the people that are around you to do something good, to do something good, to love and to do something good. And let us not neglect, here it is, let us not neglect our meeting together. Like we've all got our lives, we've got our family, great. We've got soccer practice, we've got work, great. But don't neglect getting together, as some people do. And we've seen a lot of that. And so my encouragement to, for those of you that are watching at home and haven't gotten the building yet would be stop neglecting the meeting together. Get in church. The Josh Brown translation says this, get your butt in church. Right? So as some, are in, some people do, the NIV again says, as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage one another, especially now, that the day of his return is drawing near. When I was uh, youth pastoring in Mesquite, like almost 30 years ago, I, it was my first youth pastor job, right? I was a student at Christ for the Nations, and the, the pastor had put an ad in a, in a paper they had there at the school, and I responded to it, and I got the job, and I was like, oh, man, finally, I get to be a youth pastor. I was so excited, little family church, and uh, it was out in Mesquite, and I remember right after I was hired, the pastor said, hey, I'll pick you up, and we're going to have a meeting for the students. And so I, I remember I picked him up, Pastor Tim, and uh, he picked me up in his car, and he had a, a, a package for me. And I was like, oh, cool. No, he got a job. I got a gift. And inside the, the package, it was a bag, was a, a little box, and it had business cards in it. And they had my name. Y'all know what business cards are? And so, and so I was like, my name Josh Brown, youth pastor. I got to tell you, I felt like I had a rod. I was 21 years old, you know. And so I'm like, I was so excited. And so Pastor Tim goes and we have this meeting with the students. And, and he's like, I'm going to lead the meeting, uh, the first meeting with the kids because I want to introduce you. And this is what he said. He, he said, some people will tell you, you can be a Christian and not go to church. And he said, I'm going to tell you that you can't. And his emphasis wasn't that you have to go to church to be saved. His emphasis is save people go to church. And if you want to be better, then you need to get in this context called community. You need to get in this context called corporate worship because something happens, something powerful happens when God's people come together. Save people is symbol. So it's a command, but it's a command with benefits. Come on. So Psalms 133, we're familiar with this passage and we'll, we'll revisit this through the series. It says how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. When we get together, when we come together for a united purpose, how good and pleasant it is. And I would say this, if you haven't experienced the good and pleasant, then it's probably because you're not doing community. And that's all community means, common unity. And he says, it's good. It's good when you can do life together. It's like precious oil being poured down the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It's just this oil saturating. It's, it's awesome. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. It's refreshing. For there the Lord bestows his blessing. And even life forevermore. So he's saying, listen, in unity, God bestows. What does that mean, bestow? Bestow is the Hebrew word is this, savah. And that word savah means this, to lay charge, give charge, command, or order. So when God looks at unity, he commands it to be blessed. This is why you see at the Tower of Babel, people were doing something evil and they were still successful. Why? Because God said, just like sowing and reaping, God set this law in motion called unity. When unity happens, this thing called synergy happens, and better things come. Right? So the, 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 whole, the, the, the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. You've heard it that way. And so what it is, the synergy happens when people just come together. Well, how much more powerful is it when people that are filled with the Spirit of God and they get together? And let me just tell you this. God didn't call you to unite with the United States of America. He didn't call you to unite with a political party or a social movement. God called you to, to unite with the body of Christ. And, and if we want to be good at the body of Christ, we need to stop trying to partner with the world, start partnering with the kingdom of God, and then we'll see some transformation happen. We, listen, we are, not call, we are called to be separate from the world. 
not to be unified with the world. This God says, I'm calling you from them, for them, for them to benefit the world. But we are not of this world. This is not our home. I said, this is not our home. This world is not, don't get so comfortable. This is not your home. We, we, we should, listen, we should live in attention. Not attention, in a tension whenever in the world. That's the reason why you're feeling so much frustration. It's because you, this is not your home. And do you want to make the best of it? Do you want to be the salt of the earth? Yes, but you're only going to be so good at it if you are united with the body of Christ. It's the most, listen, the church, the spirit-filled church is the most powerful force on the earth. It's more powerful than darkness. It's more powerful than a political party. It's more powerful than socialism. The body of Christ on the earth. It's the most powerful force on the earth. We've got to get together. And get this, the together life is the blessed life. The together life is the blessed life. And so we can do more. We can experience more. We can grow more. We can enjoy more. Listen, it's so much better doing it with people. And, and this idea, and some people have said, well, you know, it's just, you know, my family, they're, they're believers, and so we have fellowship every day. I'm like, you are missing the point of two-thirds of the New Testament. Two-thirds of it written to believers doing what we're doing right now, plus more, giving instruction to that. If God didn't intend for you to do it, then why would he devote so much of the Scriptures to it? So God has, yes, yes, the Bible teaches about going to church. And, and, and if you think, Pastor, you're being too hard on people. They're not going to want to come. Listen, we need to, to get back to the truth. And we need, to, we need to stop tiptoeing around the issues. It's critical that we, that we turn the me, me and Jesus, to we and Jesus. Because we are corporately the, the, the bride of Christ. Y'all Okay. So the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. We know Acts chapter 2, right? Here's another, here's another benefit, right? We talked about Pentecost. We've been talking about that a lot over the last month. When Pentecost came, when did it come? When they were all together. Listen, part of me, like, I, 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 Pastor Leslie has it real bad. This thing called FOMO. Like, I'm afraid of not being at church because I'm, I'm afraid that somebody might experience a miracle and I won't be there to, to see it. Would there be an eagerness in that? that man, I got to be because today. Do you live with that expectation when we think about us gathering together? Man, God could do something powerful today because powerful things happen when God's people come together. And so, what if that? What if the miracle that you were believing somebody else for was going to happen that day and you weren't there to see it? Come on, I want to be there. I don't want to watch the video. I'm grateful for the video. I'd love to relive it. But, but I, I look at the big markers in my life. I look at some events. I, I, I remember we went to the call in, in uh, I think it was year 2000. And uh, we went in Washington, D.C. when this whole movement with Lou Engel started in 2000. We were there. I mean, you can go back and look at the videos. But I, I, I go, I was there. I didn't, I didn't miss what God started. Beloved, there needs to be an eagerness in our spirit to be like, I, I want to be, I don't want to miss out. Because we know that powerful things happen when God's people come together. And we need to start living with that expectation. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. Y'all okay? So, and, and understand that it wasn't just the first time in Acts where we see this. We th throughout the book of Acts, they're eating together. They're sharing meals together. Come on, they're sharing clothing. Come on, we've done some of that this weekend. I mean, they're, they're, they're like sharing their lives together. This is what New Testament church is. So do not forsake the assembling of yourself together. Get together because powerful things happen when God's people come together. And that is, that is really the theme of this whole series. So today we're talking about the calling that we've received, right? The we. What, is, what does that mean, we? So well, first of all, this, we are called. We are called. Did you know that you're called, that God called you? Some people say, well, the calling, that person's a, a pastor. He's, a, he's got a calling. Or some people will say, well, I have a calling to be a doctor. Yes, absolutely. But there is a greater calling than your individual calling. And every person has an individual calling. But listen, that calling isn't just to enhance your life. It's part of God's global calling. It's, God, it's part of God's universal calling, if you will, to advance the kingdom of God. So that, that when we talk about church, when we talk about we, the church, the, the word for that in the New Testament, the Greek word is ekklesia. Everybody say ekklesia. 
In fact, I want you to use that this week when you're when you're talking when you're talking to somebody. You know, you guys know, man. We just like to give you some little things to make you make you appear smarter than you are. I, I try to use words like that just so you think, oh, man, this really does homework. Well, I just I, most of the time I say the words wrong, so I'm probably saying this one wrong. But just like just be just go to somebody and say, man, God really wants to bring glory on the earth through His ecclesia, and they're going to be like, whoa, aren't you get that? And you'd be like, yeah. The ecclesia that I'm a part of is Overflow Church, right? Overflow ecclesia, right? So we are the called out ones. And that's all it means. It means a called out assembly. So by being in Christ, you've been called out. You've been called out of darkness into his light. Ecclesia, you've been called out. So we're called out, first of all, by the Father. Everybody say by the Father. We're called out by the Father. So listen. God doesn't call you out when you're in your sin. God doesn't call you out to punish you, but to redeem you. Um, I remember when I was a kid in, in grade school, and we used to, like, play on playground equipment and all that kind of stuff, like, like steel slides. You guys ever seen steel slides? We actually rode steel slides, if you call it, slid down steel slides when it's, like, 115 degrees in Odessa, Texas. I mean, we... We weren't scared, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm sure OSHA or something would freak out now. But uh, back in those days, we didn't, we didn't care. You know, kids just had burns on their legs. Nobody was suing anybody. It's just, it's, I've got personal responsibility, <laughs> something we forgot about. And so um, as, as a kid, I remember sometimes during recess, we would play kickball. Do you ever play kickball? The cool thing about kickball is you don't really have to be that good at sports. You know, it's just a big, it's a really big target. You can kick it and you can run and you're good, and you can catch the big ball. It's just easier. It's like baseball, but with a big ball. And so for me, I liked kickball because I wasn't really good at sports. You know, that's back when I was a little daddy. And so I would like, you know, we would all run out there. And I remember at recess, if they, if they brought the kickballs out, you know, they brought that big old basket and they had the kickballs in there. I remember it was like, okay, everybody up against the fence. It's time for public humiliation, right? So everybody gets up on the fence, everybody's up there. And then they start picking the kids, right? The most athletic and all that. So for me, I was usually kind of like, you know, down, down, usually at the end of the line, right? One of the last ones. But, but, but eventually, you know, somebody would call your name. Sometimes they would say, well, I guess we'll take Josh, right? And I think sometimes we think that that's the way it is with the Lord. We think God looks at us and goes, I'll take them. They're not really that skilled. They're not really that good. But, you know, they're up against the fence. He's available, so we'll take him. But that's not what God does. He looks at us and he goes, you're not really fit for my team, but I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out to be a part of what I'm doing on the earth. So we are called out. We're not just called out. We're called out by the Father. And he's not calling us. Listen, God did tell you about your sin. So you would know that you need him as a redeemer. But he didn't call your sin to, to punish you. He called out your sin to redeem you, to rescue you, to make you fit to be part of his team. Come on. I mean, you know, there's no I in team. <laughs> No, but there is a me, only if you get it backwards. So Luke chapter 14, I love this parable. It's incredible. Jesus replies. Now, in, in Mark's gospel, I believe it's uh, Mark, uh, Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew's gospel, chapter 22, he says, the kingdom is like, which is always really powerful for us to look at that. But it says this, a certain man was preparing, and I, I picked Luke because it's shorter, and you guys know how I'll spend all day on a verse. So a certain man is preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Have you ever done that? You prepared a party and you're like, hey, let's invite the people. And so at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. He's like, okay, guys, I sent out the invitations. Now it's time for the party. And then they began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Got a new car, not gonna go to church this week. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. I'm building a family. Please excuse me. Excuses, excuses. I got soccer practice. I had to work all day yesterday. Please excuse me. 
I've had a difficult week. Please excuse me. I've had a difficult life. Please excuse me. My parents raised me this way. Please excuse me. They're not really church people. Please excuse them. Excuses, excuses, excuses. My, my pastor back in Odessa, Jimmy Dennis, used to say, excuses are like armpits. Everybody has them and they all stink. And it's like, we have excuses, but I'm telling you, beloved, there is a banquet that's gonna happen. And it doesn't matter if you have an excuse or you don't have an excuse. The banquet is happening. Are you coming to the banquet or are you just gonna go, I got something else to do? God is calling us. The Father is calling us to his banquet. Don't be satisfied with the, the affairs of this life. As noble as they may be, nothing compares to the banquet. The servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, go quickly to the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the, blame, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has already been done. <laughs> They already knew. They knew the heart of this father, this king. They knew that he would want a full banquet. They'd already had the idea. We already did that. We did. We, we went and invited people, but there's, there's still room. There's still room at the banquet. Then the master told his servants, go to the roads, to the county lanes, and compel them to come in. If we do this. We make excuses. Even the servants sometimes, we make excuses. We tried that. We've done this. He's like, go again. Go somewhere you haven't gone. Are, are you going somewhere you haven't gone to bring someone to the banquet? I, I know you've done your way and you've tried it enough times, but, but the, the king is not sad. Listen, as long as there is an empty seat at the table, our God is unsatisfied. Beloved, we cannot look at all these empty seats in this room today. Are you satisfied with it? Because God isn't. There's a seat at this table. There's a seat at this table called Overflow Church. You're the servants of this house. Maybe you're new. Maybe you're not there yet, but you're at the banquet. Beloved, are you going to bring somebody? I'm not talking about just to a seat at a service, but a seat to the family. As long as there's room at the table, our father is unsatisfied. Go to the roads and county lanes so that what? The, the goal is this, so that my house will be full. See, I think, let's just be real. I think God has a problem with empty churches. I'm not saying anything about the pastor. I'm not saying anything about the people. But I think that God looks at that and he goes, you know what? There, there's, there's seats that need to be filled. When we came to, to, to launch Overflow in the Dallas area, people were like, oh, man, another church in Dallas. That's all we need is another church in Dallas. Yeah, we knew. I mean, how many convenience stores are there in Dallas? Right? Of course, yeah, we need another church. You know why? Because there's people that aren't in church. So let's start another one. Some of y'all heard our, our visions to have 10 churches overflow. We're not there yet. Let's fill this one up. So we have to start another one. As long as there's empty. I have a problem with empty seats. You should have a problem with empty seats. Not just because of the momentum. <laughs> For me, that's usually the deal, if I'm being honest. But the reality is that there are lost people that are not sitting in those seats right there. There are people that are not eating from the great banquet that should be, and they're not here. Hmm. I tell you that not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now, what people do here when we start talking about what God calls, a father calls, like we kind of take off the responsibility. But understand, in this parable, he is telling us, listen, the king the father is really serious about you going and compelling them to come in. Are you being compelling? Is your lifestyle compelling? Are you declaring the compelling message of the gospel to people? Or are you just presenting niceties? Listen, you could be a Mormon and be nice. But the gospel is what transforms lives. Are, are, you, are you equipping yourself to compel other people to come in? Well, I've tried that. Well, go to the, go to the county lanes. Get outside of what you normally think. So what people have done with this is they've said, well, you know, um, God just decides who's at the banquet. This is, this is the deal. And they use this verse in Matthew's account. 
It says at the end of it, it says, for many are, are called, but few are chosen. And so what we think is people go, well, you know, God, God only selects some people. Some people are destined for wrath. Some people are, you, you know, this whole thing, like they, that it's just not everybody's going to get saved because God doesn't want everybody to be saved. Not according to First Peter, where it says God's not willing that anyone should perish. And so we kind of say, well, it's just, you know, it's, it's completely 100% on God, and the calling is, but the calling's already went out. The invitation has already been out. So, so when it says that many are called, few are chosen, he go, he says, "Go and tell everyone." So, who are the called, and who are the chosen? The ones who answered to the invitation. So, the invitation is the only difference between the called and the chosen. The act, the elect, and the unelect are those that said, "Yes, I'll show up." Those that by their will responded to the call of the banquet. So the Father does the calling. Y'all okay? That'll help you a little bit when people say, oh, it's just all on God. It is all on God, but people have to respond to his calling, and he's called all. Jesus says this, John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. We overestimate our virtue. Don't we? We think, I think I need to follow God. Right? I think it's time for me to follow God. You think he'd come up with that on your own? Are you so virtuous that you thought, man, I need to follow God? No. It was God's kindness that put that desire in you. The fact that you would even want to serve God that desire, that goodness in your heart only comes from him. It only comes from his kindness. You're not that virtuous and you're not that clever, but God is gracious enough and kindness enough to look at the people on the fence and go, I want you. I pick you. Will you respond? And out of his kindness, he does that. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with my loving kindness. In, in the Greek, that word draw is actually the word drag. It's suro. And, it, 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 and the, the picture is when a guy gets busted, get this, a guy gets busted and he's being dragged off to prison. That's the picture. The father draws, <laughs> drawing him to prison. However, this banquet, the father is not dragging you to a prison. He's dragging you to a banquet. He's dragging you to a place of life. Uh, Romans uh, 2, 4, you guys have heard it. God's kindness leads us to repentance. And many times people render that verse and say, well, I'm just going to see how good God is and I'll come to repentance. I've found that not to be true. I've found that when I'm in my rock bottom, whenever I'm experiencing what some might call the judgment of God, that even in God's judgment, his kindness is displayed because he's going, I don't want you living there anymore. I want you to come to me. So if you have to get rock, hit, hit rock bottom before that happens, then let's go to rock bottom because his heart is so kind. And so what we think sometimes, well, God's just gonna be, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. You think you're just blessed, 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 and you're just gonna come to God? Because you're blessed, blessed, blessed. Typically, it's quite the opposite. Typically, it's because I go, dang, I am jacked up sinner. I'm filthy. I'm messed up. I need God. And it's God's kindness that goes, you do need me. Let me drag you in to my banquets. So we are, listen, we are the selected ones. We are the called out ones. God called you out. Not to, not, to, not to criticize you, not to bring damnation on you. No, no, no. God called you out to rescue you. Come on. Aren't you glad he called you out? Aren't you glad he called you out? So we must see this. We're a chosen people, right? We, we've got to see this. Such a privilege, such a joy. Such encouragement that God, the God who created the whole universe, the God that created all the things in the midst of my poor choices, in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of my rebellion, he looked at me and he said, I want you. 
in the midst of your dysfunction, in the midst of your ability not to get it together, he looked at you and he said, I choose you. God chose you. He called you out. Come on. Come on, son. Come on, daughter. Come on, rebellious. Come on, broken. Come on in. We just respond to the invitation. So he calls us out. The father does the calling. Number two, he calls us into a family. He calls us into a family. How many of you know the calling out is a calling in? <laughs> Come on. The calling out is a calling in. And so Ephesians, Paul says it this way. You're no longer foreigners and strangers. You were. You were foreigners and stra- strangers. You were alienated. You don't know what alienated means? Ali- al- the picture of alienated is this, is you being taken into a rocket in space and then you being exiled from that rocket and you're thrown out into the abyss with nothing floating around. That's scary. To me, there's nothing more frightening than that. That's alien. That's being alienated. Totally separated. You were totally foreign to God. You didn't have any virtue in you. You weren't good, but God chose you. You're no longer foreigners. You're no longer alienated, but fellow citizens with, get this, what is your identity? With God's people and members of his household. And we talked a little bit about this in the last series. Under the old covenant, you didn't get to call God Father. You didn't get that privilege. Jesus did it, and they thought he was blaspheming. And then when he taught us how to pray, he said, our Father. He, 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 he was teaching us to pray. We don't, when we pray, we're, we're not really praying. My Father, my Daddy, Papa, yeah, you have that intimacy with the Lord, but it's bigger than that. He is the corporate Father. He's our Father. We're siblings in this thing. We're in his household. He's the provider. <laughs> He's the corrector. He's really good at his job. <laughs> and I, I don't get, you know, we got to be born again into this family. I, I don't get how we, we think that we're really helping God. He wants partners. I mean, he wants people to do the work of the house. We are the family of God. People that are devoted to Jesus, his kingdom, and his glory. We have a common father. And get this. Because we're part of a family, we belong to one another. We belong to one another. I belong to you. You don't own me. You own me. Because we're in family. Family belongs to one another. It's not because we're perfect. We've got it all figured out. Because what I've found is when I get closer to people, I'm like, oh, you ever meet people and they're like so impressive when you see their Facebook profile? You're like, wow. They're like perfect. And then you meet them and you're like, wow, they've really got it together. And then you know them for like two years and they're like, man, they really got some issues. Right? Come on. Just because when we get to know one another, we realize that we all have areas in our life where we lack. But praise God that you have areas in your life that make up for my weaknesses. We're called to to family, we belong to one another. For by the grace given to me, I say, every one of you, Romans 12, 3, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, mm. but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed you. Listen, we have this thing where we tell people, you need self-confidence. You need to have high self-confidence. Go get you one of those stickers at Hobby Lobby and put it on your bathroom wall. I am wonderful. I am beautiful. You should be confident. Just speak that. Listen, there is a level of faith where you, where you, believe, where you believe where you are. But there is also something that we're called to, to not think more highly of myself, but I see myself with sober judgment. So God isn't calling us to have a high self-esteem. He's calling us to have an accurate self-esteem that we look at our lives. We step back. We're not looking at our intentions. We step back and we look what I'm presenting and we have people in our life to look at us and go, man, pastor, when you say that, it comes across this way. I need to know that because all I know is my intention. 
but you know how I'm coming across. And so whenever I come to you and I say, listen, bro, when you do that, it's okay that we do that. Why? Because we belong to one another. Well, you're judging me. Call it what you want. In fact, the scripture says that we judgment begins in the house of God. We're actually called to like look at each other's lives and say, but we don't get offended by it. Why? Because we're family. You do that with your siblings. And this is what people do. They miss the whole thing of community. So they go to a church. They get involved in a church. All of a sudden, somebody ruffles their feathers a little bit, and they go to another church. Well, they were judging me. Well, I hope they were to a degree. Not, not judging your intentions, but judging your works, which we're called to do. And hopefully you have people in your life that will knock off the rough edges, or at least home out in a loving way. Now, if they're being condemning and hateful and all that kind of stuff, then yes, get away from that toxic environment. But you need to have people in your life that can tell you no, that can speak to your life, that can, that can knock off your rough edges. Amen? Okay. For each of us has one body, right? You have one body. <laughs> you don't have four bodies, right? It won't be long before culture is telling us that. No, you just got one body. You don't have two. <laughs> You're not a they or a them. You're a one. I think that's important. One body with many members, and these members do not have the same function. You have a different function than I have. My function in the community of overflow is the lead pastor. That's my function. Your function's different. And it's important because if we're going to function well, then you've got to be in your function. These members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. We. You got to turn the me to we. Each member, here he says it, belongs to all the others. The problem is, is that we live in a great big selfie world. Don't we? I mean, everybody's got their platform, right? Everybody's got their filters. You know, during, during lockdown, everybody's like on their Zoom meetings, you know, wearing their PJs, but they did their face up. Or somebody's posting pictures on Instagram and they have their filters. I mean, we, we've got, we've got the, all these ways of covering up who we really are. Why? So we look better. And we are so consumed with self in our culture. So consumed. Everybody, we call, one, call people that are more famous on social media, we call them what? Influencers. And they're not influencing at all. You're just impressed by them. And influence and impress, being impressive are not the same thing. I, I think we're obsessed with artificial influence. And let me say this, I believe in self-care. Mental health is important. Don't get me wrong, hear that. Some of you need to go to a counselor. I need to go to a counselor. The fact that you said that means that you need to. Because you need someone that can see around corners that you can't. I think just like you go to the dentist, you should have a mental health doctor. It's important. Soul care, which is beyond that, is critical. Most of that should happen in your devotion to Jesus, your daily grind. Just like, just like I don't go to a, a doctor to, to, to fix my heart disease when I've been eating chicken fried steak three times every day. Right? I've got to eat, make healthy choices. I've got to do that with my soul. I've got to be before the presence of the Lord every day. So it is important. All those things are important. But the problem that we have right now is this obsession with self. There's an obsession with self. More than any other time in human history, there are more self-help, more self-care, blogs, posts, platforms, all this stuff, podcasts, YouTube channels, all built around what? Self. You just got to love yourself. You just got to take care of yourself. You just got to, you know, don't worry about anybody else. Just take care of you. Just be you. Do you. All this. Feel better about yourself. Feel better. Feelings, 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 feelings. All of it. Be the best you. Be true to you. And to what end? And to what end? Because when I, what I found is the more focused on self that I am, the more so focused of self I become. It's like it is a, a, a endless drain of self. Oh, I just need more. I just need more time to myself. I just need more self-care. I just need another glass of wine. Come on. Why? Because it, thinking about you. It's just all about you. To what end? To what end? 
Because what we see is that people are more, more insecure. People are more discouraged. People are more depressed. People are less healthy. Suicide rates are through the roof, higher than ever. However, there's more emphasis on self-care. Do you see a correlation here, beloved? Because I can tell you 30 years ago, there wasn't that much focus on it. And, and sadly, it's really crept into the body of Christ. Where we become more about self-care than self-denial, which is what Jesus calls us to. See, America is the most mentally medicated country in the world. We are more medicated than any nation in the world, and we're the most obsessed with self. Isn't it interesting? I don't have a problem with medication. I don't have, if you're on antidepressants, I'm not criticizing you, but I'm saying there is a better way. There is a way. And I don't have a problem with any of those things. But isn't it interesting that the focus and the emphasis on self is actually destroying? Because there's nothing more toxic than being self-absorbed. Nothing more to toxic than being self-absorbed. 2 Timothy 3.1 says this, There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. And what is the world saying? Love yourself. Love yourself, love yourself, love yourself. And Jesus is saying, die to yourself and follow me. Fall into my love. This is the gospel. This self-absorbed movement is contrary to the kingdom. It's contrary to the kingdom. So what self-importance is, is this. It's nothing more than narcissism masquerading itself as virtuous. That's all it is. It's narcissism. It's about putting you first, taking care of yourself first. Again, not criticizing that you take care. You do need to take care of yourself, but when you are the single center of your universe and everything else is just catering to you and it's all about you and have a good day and I'm just, I'm this and I'm that. And listen, all it is doing is just feeding this thing called an idol. And it's interesting that an idol starts with I. The idol of self. And you know what the world does whenever you celebrate self, when you're so proud of yourself, when you're so full of yourself, you know what the world does? They applaud. Because anything the, the spirit of the world can do to get your eyes off your dependence of Jesus, the world will do it. And it comes from the father of lies. It comes from the devil. This whole movement of being self-absorbed. Do you hear me? Do you buy this? Because this is the scripture. I would love to get up here and just tell you, just, just feel good about every decision you make, but that would be contrary to the scripture and I'd be doing you a grave injustice. You okay? So don't allow, don't allow anybody to celebrate you if you're getting puffy. Come on, don't get puffy. I'm just so proud of myself. Maybe you should say that less. I don't, think that you, I don't think there's anything wrong with you having those moments. Don't, don't, don't take it completely the other direction. I'm not talking about self-deprecating or putting yourself down all the time. That's, that's another issue. I'm talking about finding your identity, losing your identity in Christ, seeing yourself primary as one who belongs to God. And you watch. You watch all that stuff that you're dealing with, all the insecurities, all the dysfunctions. You watch that stuff start lining up. Because God is a lot better at taking care of you than you are taking care of you. But will you trust him? So the third call is this. The first call is, is, is that we're called out by the Father. Number two, we're called into family. And number three, we're called up to a new life. We're called up to a new life. Ephesians 4, 1, 6, it says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. You've already received the calling. It's like you were the guy at the end of the line at the kickball thing, and he says, now live like you're the best athlete on the field. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Come on, not the unity of the nation, not the unity of the world, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In the kingdom, we, we keep we, we, we maintain the unity, right? We don't have to go out and make a, make a movement. We're focused on the Spirit of God, and he unifies us. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What is it saying? It's saying, listen, be obsessed with the one thing. This is how the the bond of unity happens is by us having a singular focus towards God and his kingdom. So the call of Jesus is not to better yourself. It's to die to yourself. If anyone wants to follow me, you've got to die to yourself. And he continues in that in, in Luke. And we'll talk a little bit about following Jesus next week. So we had a thing. Uh. The week before last, we were in Branson all week. We took a little, like a five-day uh, family vacation. And uh, I have this device, these devices that I take with me called uh, AirPods. And I love my AirPods. I've had them for like four years. And um, I like them because they're like a mobile office, right? I just stick them in my ears. I can do whatever. I can kind of tune everything else out. I can listen to a podcast. We're on the road when the kids are doing something else or everybody in the van's asleep. I can, I can just kind of tune in and kind of get in my little world. You guys know what I'm talking about. And so I love my AirPods. I can take them around. I'm going to the gym. I'm listening to stuff. All the, the whole thing. Love it. Part of my life. So we go to Branson and, you know, we're about two thirds of the way in and I stick, stick them in and I'm listening to a podcast. I think Leslie's working on a book. The kids are on devices or something. And so we stopped to get gas. And so I took my AirPods out and stuck them where I always stick them right there in the, the little slot in the door and don't think anything about it. Just keep going. And so we spend the week in Branson and we come back on Friday, not this past Friday, but the Friday before the past last. And so we're at the house and I'm like, Hey, babe, have you seen my, my AirPods? Uh, no, they were in the van last time I saw them. Go look at the van. Go look through the luggage. Go look through the van. Pull out my app, the Find My Apple device app. There it is. There it, where, where is it? Where is it? And then it, so I pull up the app, and this is what I see. Oh, Josh's AirPods, May 31st, that Monday when we're going to Branson. And look where my AirPods are. Huntsville, Arkansas. I've never heard of it either. There it is. There's my AirPods. Last time they were connected. Here's me with all my other devices. Oh no. What's going to happen? So I did what any normal sane person does. I post about it on social media so people feel sorry for me. And so I'm like, well, surely they're not there because they had to be turned on. So we search and search and search. Can't find them. So I'm like bummed. Talking to Pastor Leslie about it, I'm like, man, I, just don't know. I use those every day. Like they help me study. They help me spend time with the Lord. Well, I'd kind of been wanting some of these AirPod Pros because they're like the pro thing or they're the new thing. But I'm like, I just didn't want to spend the money. And so Leslie comes walking in and she sits on the bed and I'm frustrated. You know, praying tongues, the carnal tongues. And so she's like, uh, I got something to tell you, but it's a surprise, but it might make you feel better. Do you want to feel better? Yes, <laughs> I want to feel better. So she says, well, for your birthday, my birthday is this month. She said, for your birthday, she said, I bought you AirPod Pros. I was like, really? She said, yeah, they're going to be here on Tuesday. And this was, I don't know, Friday. And I was like, okay, I do feel better. And I can tell you that I kept going back to that app before that moment. I mean, I was searching. Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? But someone, even before she knew they were lost, had got onto a website and ordered AirPod Pros before I even knew I needed them. And it's something better. And I tell you, I put these things in and they have like, they have like all these modes. I mean, they are really pro, right? I'm like, whoa. They have like, they, you can like, you can turn it on like where it silences everything else in the room. You can turn it on where it amplifies everything else in the room so you can hear it through your headphones. They've got this like sound. It's like, I don't even know what they call it, the technology where it's like a surround sound on steroids. And I'm like, whoa, these are like way fantastic. This is like the best mobile office I've ever had. And I've been using them nonstop since I got them. And you know what I quit doing? I quit thinking about the old ones. I'm not trying to hold on. I'm not going, I want my older. All the attachment is gone. You know why? Because I died to them. 
And I think today, some of you, what you need to do is you need to do what I haven't done yet, but I'm going to do it in a minute. I think you need to scroll up to that app and delete that device. It's not on my mind anymore. I've got a new life. I've got a better thing, something that has been prepared for me by someone who loves me deeply. And you want to just go in and say, you know what? I'm done with the old life. I'm just going to hit delete on that. And this is what Jesus calls us to. And we'll talk about following Jesus and that amplified life and what it looks like next week. But listen, some of you today, you need to die to me and embrace the we that I'm part of the fellowship. I'm part of the family of God. God has called me. The Father has called me. He's called me into family, and he's called me in to new life. New life. I got one verse for you. Will you stand? One verse for you as we're finishing up today. This is a verse that's often manipulated. Romans chapter 8. We know that God causes Everything to work together for good. Now, this is what people do. Let me help you. It's my job to equip you with this. That doesn't mean everything happens for a reason for every person. Sometimes the reason is people are evil. Sometimes the reason is people are stupid. Sometimes the reason is because you've made poor decisions. Sometimes things happen because of that. However, when those things do happen, God causes them. He doesn't cause the thing to happen, but he causes them and works them together for good but not just for anyone. Not to those that are self-centered. No, because this is what we do. Oh, God's just gonna, now that that happened, I'm gonna get a raise. And then you don't get the raise and you get mad at God because you misunderstood the, or misappropriated the promise. This is what it says, for those who love God. What is that? That's fulfilling God's purpose. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That he says, and those that are called according to his purpose for them. Not according to your purpose, not according to your grand design, according to his. And do you know what your purpose is? It tells us in the next verse. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. You know what God's plan for your life is? That you would look like Jesus. So anything that happens in your life, whether you get a raise or whether you get fired, whether you get embraced, whether you get rejected, God will take everything in your life if you've been called according to his purpose and you have and you've responded to him, but you love him. He'll cause that to make you look like Jesus. 